gender, body acceptance, abortion, sex, racial justice, feminism, birth, parenthood, stigma, bodily autonomy, and more. This is Reproductive Left by Mabel Watson Center, an independent feminist nonprofit comprehensive healthcare provider in Bangor, Maine. Join us as we explore topics that impact our sexual and reproductive health and lives. Here's your host, Aspen Rulin. Aspen uses they, them pronouns and is our client and community advocate. So again, what is our end goal here? And reproductive freedom also means being able to raise your freaking family. It also like that's what reproductive justice is about, right? It's about being able to not just have the rights, but the resources to build the family that you want for yourself on your terms and to do so safely. And we know that controlling what pregnant people do and restricting what pregnant people can do does not bring safety for any of us. Yeah. And it's, and I think especially to, to dive in with the data around, you know, who, whose children are being removed in Maine, I would say it's not even that, like, even with Maine being so white, I would say it's especially with Maine being so white because like, you know, it's not that like, as we were joking about before we started, like, oh, it's not like no one's no one's here because the Bangor mall is boring. Uh, you know, it's that this state unfortunately does have a lot of issues around racism and is a space that is not necessarily safe for black indigenous and other people of color. And that is reflected in the state's over surveillance and removal of black indigenous and other people of color's children. Um, Because like you said, you know, substance use is pretty the same across the board by race and by class and all that jazz. And, you know, there's also not a sudden increase in, you know, actually being a bad parent for, for people who are, you know, black indigenous people of color, disabled people, uh, people who are poor, it is, it is that whole thing of who's being surveilled and who is being punished. Right. Yeah. And, and what does it mean to those of us who are protected from that kind of surveillance and control and criminalization? What does it mean for us to cast our lot with folks who are targeted by these, this sort of violence and reproductive control? And also like thinking about how the only way during the time of enslavement in this country, for example, like how did people know that they were free by knowing there was a population of people who were unfree. Mm. And I think about how do people with lots of privilege think about what kind of parent they are? Is it by looking at others and saying, well, I'm not that kind of parent. I'm a good parent because X, Y, Z. Um, You know, I just think it's really important to like, think about how we define ourselves. And like, I don't know what 
quote unquote, a good parent really means. Um, I think it means many, many things to many people, many different things. But I do think a lot about how we define ourselves in opposition to things that we are not so often. And that's, that's that binary thinking is present in so much of our culture. And I don't think we need to look down on other parents or pregnant people in order to feel secure that we are doing the best we can with what we have. But what I see is that that's the idea that's promoted to us. And even pregnant people who have enormous amounts of privilege Mm. are, are subject to extreme judgment by our culture, by their loved ones. Um, They are definitely discriminated against on a lot of Mm -hmm. levels, no matter how much privilege one has. So all the more reason for those of us who care about reproductive freedom to stop buying into this idea that there are good and bad parents, that there are Mm -hmm. good and bad ways to be pregnant, stop interacting with pregnant people with a list of should nots, you know, stop telling them what they should or should not do. Um, Let's remove shoulding from our whole like repertoire of how we engage with other people. And instead I want to talk about like, I'll have a conversation about what makes a good parent the day that everyone has full access to all the healthcare they need. Everyone has safe housing. Everybody's got clean water. Everybody has a solid public education. Everybody's got a good home. Then maybe I'll even like entertain the idea of having that conversation. But until Mm. things are true, what I have seen with the people I have been blessed to work with, it's like a real honor to be invited on someone's journey when they're pregnant, whether that's pregnancy is going to end in an abortion or birth. Um, What I have seen is that people are overwhelmingly doing the best they can with what they have. And too many people do not have enough of the resources they need. And they are constantly feeling guilt and like they are failing when really they are set up to fail and they're still managing many people to thrive and to have children that they adore and who adore them. And so I just really want us to think on a systemic level. And if you, you know, are someone who says you care about reproductive freedom, I really believe you have to show compassion for and fight for the rights of people who use drugs. Um, And, and, and that's how we're going to get to a different place. I hope where we're not fighting the same battle that we're seeing over Roe right now, um, we've made really narrow arguments for why pregnant people are actually people. Um, Mm -hmm. And we need to expand our arguments. We need to expand our thinking and our umbrella of compassion here because the folks I work with are so often let out, like left out of that, you know, sort of embrace of compassion for pregnant people. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, you know, substance use and the way that we view that as we've already talked about, obviously has a lot of like moving pieces with it. But especially when we think of just think just about the way we view pregnant people, like, yeah, we're not viewing them as people like so many. It's so normalized in our culture that, you know, and this is a thing I had to actively work to unlearn that, you know, we don't see pregnant people as people. We see them as vessels. We see them as like an object that is carrying a pregnancy. And 
the importance of shifting away from that to being like, no, that's actually a person who has agency and autonomy and is allowed to exist in the ways they exist. Well, in that, that vessel concept, think about how rooted that is in the politics of enslavement mm-hmm. and genocide, right? In this country in particular. And I want to draw a parallel between that and our current family regulation system mm. to say that there is a concept that that it's okay to view some people who are pregnant, this class of people, as just sources for babies for other families. Mm-hmm. Um, and people who adopt out of foster care are seen as heroes, right? Um, giving a safe home where a child didn't have one. It's like, well, why wasn't that child's home safe? First of all, was that really true? Or was that just a distorted perception? But likely it's just resources. It's just a lack of resources and support. So it's a very crass view of those birthing parents to say that they what their purpose in life was to produce a baby for someone else that is slave plantation thinking. Mm-hmm. And I you know that, that. <laughs> yeah, and that brings me to the the idea. You know, people will talk about like, oh well, you know, the child welfare system is broken. But for something to be broken, it has to have been designed a certain way and then not be functioning as intended. And it's functioning as intended, unfortunately, you know, it really is often about, and, you know, I'm sure there are people who go into that system who have really good intentions, but the impact does end up being that poor people, disabled people, Black, Indigenous, other people of color, you know, disproportionately have their children removed from them for the quote-unquote crime of not having resources. While, you know, people who do foster will be given resources that were not given to the family of origin. Yeah, I mean, it's actually astounding the the disparity between the amount of money the federal government spends on foster families uh, versus the sort of social service programs that would support low-income families in being able to get what they need. So if you look at the, the totals between what goes to foster families at our tax dollars versus what goes to TANF, what goes to food stamps, what goes to any other program um, that might support someone in being able to have a, a safe home for their family. That tells us right there what, what the priorities are. And I, I guess exactly. like um, we're probably <laughs> past time. And oh, it's fine. I, I want to shout out some of the really good sources for learning more about this because I, it's really important to name that. Like I didn't invent any of these concepts. Um, I particularly black and Brown directly impacted parents have done so much work on this and reproductive Mm -hmm. justice leaders have always 
understood the connection of all these dots. So yes, if folks want to learn more about these concepts and the realities of this, I would recommend reading anything by Professor Dorothy Roberts, Mm. um, who wrote Shattered Bonds, The Color of Child Welfare, who wrote Killing the Black Body. Those are really essential texts, I think. Um, And also there's an incredible organization called Movement for Family Power out of New York City that um, put out a really great report about the child welfare system being ground zero for the drug war. Um, There's lots of great data in there but also really powerful stories. Um, And I I just want to like lift up just even just those two examples Um, will give you so much to think about. Um, But also the the National Women's Law Center just put out, they just put out with help from the Autistic Women and Non-Binary Network, uh, a report on forced sterilization of disabled people in the U.S. And so if you go to the National Women's Law Center website, you can find the link to that report. And it's written in plain language, um, which is meant to be far more accessible to people with different sort of intellectual and cognitive disabilities. It's a really accessible read. And those pieces right there, I think, get at some of the core concepts that we've talked about here. And, and they're what I'm carrying with me when I go into birthing spaces where I need to advocate alongside people who I know are up against all of this history and how this history is you know, driving our current systems. And so I just recommend people look into this and learn more about it. Um, it will really, I think, deepen your appreciation for how much effort and money is put behind trying to control pregnant people mm. um, to our, to everyone's detriment. Definitely. And so I think that, you know, reading and learning is really important, but there's always steps beyond that as far as, you know, trying to affect change. I think one thing is obviously, you know, doing your own reading and then bringing that up, sharing those resources with other people around you. Um, you know, don't, don't just keep it to yourself. Um, you know, really spread that knowledge. Are there other thoughts that you have on, on things that people can do? Because I mean, talking to other folks and sharing the info that is part of shaping cultural change. Um, and that's really important. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like learning and talking about these ideas with folks we love, um, people in our lives with our own healthcare providers, Mm -hmm. um, kind of asking, you know, pausing to ask about tests that they do urine tests. Like, is there going to be a talk screen on this? Is there a reason for that? Um, just even posing questions about that with providers, I think can make more space for others, but I would also say that national advocates for pregnant women is just, you know, the name is outdated and, they do incredible work tracking cases of criminalization for pregnancy outcomes across the US. And they often provide action steps that you can take. So like calling a state attorney general or a district attorney in any state when someone's being prosecuted. And so those are sometimes where you can take action and share those action alerts so that there has there have been cases where lots of public pressure and people reaching out has allowed someone to get out of incarceration. So 
I think that's really important. Um, and the repro legal defense fund, like, um, works to provide legal support for people who are being criminalized for pregnancy outcomes. And I think that is, um, a good organization to follow and maybe throw some dollars at. Um, mm. but in general, I would say like, in everything we do encountering pregnant people, I think it behooves all of us to assume they are doing the very best with what they have in the moment. Yes. And again, like I said, stop approaching pregnant people with shoulds. Um, yes. Stop acting like they are just out there asking for everyone's advice just by existing. Um, try to really understand the kind of judgment that all pregnant and parenting people, particularly people who are not cis men experience like at all times. And so if, if you can just like actually show some freaking compassion to people, um, disrupt misinformation, when you hear people saying things, um, really like derogatory terms and what I consider to be slurs, like crack babies, for example, um, I've heard lots of words used to describe infants, um, <laughs> who are born with substance exposure, they are not born addicted. They are not addicts and they're not damaged and they are not defined by what substances they were exposed to in the womb. So like, I just think it's really important for us to like pause people when we hear that kind of stuff and just give them a place to go find the real information. Right. Or just like disrupt it and say, no matter what you think that sounds unkind right? Um, we might disagree about this, but we don't have to like label a baby a certain way, do we? <laughs> right. um, you know, uh, we don't have to, you know, people are not damaged and there's something fundamentally ableist about the assumption that a pregnant person owes the world a quote unquote healthy baby. Um, mm. I think the ableism that shows up in pregnancy is so intense we are told that no matter what sort of birth trauma someone goes through, if the baby is quote unquote healthy, which nobody can really define, then it was all worth it. And we dismiss the birthing person's trauma, but also there are children born every day with disabilities and they are worthwhile human beings. And it is a disability is not, it shouldn't be something that is seen as a burden or a wrongdoing. And so I'm really fundamentally opposed to like, putting that kind of pressure on pregnant people that like you owe us a healthy baby. Like, no, you don't, we don't owe people health. We're just, we're humans and we have worth period. Right. As a person with chronic health issues, uh, chronic illnesses, I very much appreciate you bringing up that, you know, we don't owe people health. We also don't people who decide to give birth don't owe the world a like quote unquote healthy baby. Because again, what does that mean? What does that mean? doesn't they mean a lot they can't even define it and and also like our abilities will change over the span of our lives that is part of being alive and so yes. um the things we can do to help people have the best quality life is again all of those systemic systemic changes that nobody wants to really focus on if we took half the energy we put on policing individual behaviors into systemic change we would all have better lives with mm. and without our, our disabilities, right? Because we would have the accommodations and resources we need. <laughs> exactly. Well, 
I just want to check, was there anything else that you really wanted to make sure you touched on? I also want to let our listeners know that all of the fantastic resources that Kate was talking about, if you're panicking because you didn't get out your pen fast enough to write them down, I am going to put them in the description. So if you didn't notice that yet, they are there. Um, But yeah, Kate, I just want to check if there's anything else you really wanted to touch on. No, I just, I'm really grateful for any chance to get to talk about this and to get to talk about it with you, someone who's so passionate about, you know, sexual and reproductive health rights justice is very exciting. So, um, just go love on some folks who use drugs. We're everywhere (laughs) and, and, uh, everybody needs some love. So yeah, thanks for chatting with me. That is for sure. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Kate. And thank you to our listeners for listening to this episode of Reproductive Left. And we will see you next month. Have a great day.